Doing work you love is a key ingredient in a long, satisfying career. No one knows this better than Robert Watsky, a professor in the OHSU KCI Institute. Dr. Watsky joined OHSU as a full professor in 1984 after a 30-year career in Iowa. He recently retired, but is still involved in teaching residents. It's Tuesday, July 9th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. And I'm Lisa Carter. Lisa, I know it was a holiday week, but anything to highlight before we hear the interview with Dr. Watsky? Just a few things. First of all, the tram has reopened this week on schedule after being closed most of last week for maintenance. Yeah, the shutdown went very smoothly. I can attest to that. Um, The shuttles were lovely, but it's also nice to have the tram back up and running. Yes, definitely something that most of us rely on uh, every day. So did anything else happen last week? In last week's tip of the week, the topic was fishing, fishing with a PH. And you can read about an actual phishing email sent from someone who was pretending to be an OHSU employee who attempted to change the direct deposit of an employee's paycheck. I read about that. It's That's pretty scary. Mm. Uh, it's a great reminder to take the time to double check that an email is coming from who you think it is when it's related to anything involving money or your personal information. So what else? Well, everyone's favorite, there are some new employee discounts posted, including the Adidas Employee Store, which you can access with your OHSU ID badge through the end of July. It might be time to go get a new Timbers jersey. There you go. And now to our interview. Franny White sat down with Robert Watsky, who has mostly retired after an over 60-year career in ophthalmology. Dr. Watsky discusses the changes he's seen in the field and what drew him to OHSU in the Pacific Northwest. Let's start with the big question in my mind right away. I understand that you are 96 years old. Right. And that you have been a doctor since 1952 when you graduated medical school. Right. So how did you keep practicing for so long? Most of it, I would say, is luck and having long-lived relatives and parents. Being so lucky that I've had uh, no serious illnesses during my uh, career. The other is that I really enjoy teaching, I enjoy research, and uh, I've been involved in uh, academic, let's call it academic ophthalmology, uh, ever since uh, I finished my residency. So I'd say it's mainly luck, but uh, also because I was lucky enough to be involved in a career that I really enjoyed and uh, healthy enough to keep on doing it way past the uh, regular uh, retirement age. So you mentioned that you really enjoy teaching. Right. Uh, What is it about teaching ophthalmology that you enjoy so much? Well, first of all, the fact that ophthalmology has changed in in almost incredible ways, both in the surgery and the methods of examination and diagnosis over the last 50 years. And all those changes involved uh, new techniques which had to be investigated, tried out, uh, selected, and then taught to successive generations of young doctors who just became, uh, wanted to take training to become ophthalmologists. So in order to teach them, I had to keep abreast of all of these new developments and uh, master them well enough to use them with patients and then 
teach them to younger doctors. It kept me on my toes, and it was extremely interesting. So I think the main thing about it was that that with the progression and the changes in ophthalmology, uh, it just was so incredibly interesting uh, that I never really uh, wanted to leave it. What do you think is the biggest uh, change that's happened during your career in ophthalmology that you think is most remarkable? Well, I think there are two things. The first has been the development of methods of examining the retina in which one can actually look at the different layers of nerve cells in the back of the eye from a standpoint of a person who ordinarily would be in a laboratory and studying it under the microscope. Because of the fact that the interior of the eye is transparent and that sound waves can be uh, focused on the layer of tissue in the back of the eye called the retina, which is a approximately one-eighth of an inch thick layer of tissue that is transparent. It's not completely transparent, but it's transparent enough that us waves beamed, light waves beamed into the eye can be uh, transmit the entire retina, bounce back, and be picked up and analyzed, what we call ocular computerized tomography, tomography being layers of tissue. This has been enabled one to look at a living tissue in the human body from a standpoint of layers of nerve cells. The same sort of thing that pathologists used to do only with uh, studying of the, the tish, such tissue after the patient uh, is dead and has do- donated the eyes. So that uh, so-called OCT, ocular completed computerized tomography, has been the most uh, amazing development. And that means you go and see a doctor and he can examine the retina in the back of the eye from a layer of, from the standpoint of a, what a pathologist would examine back in the old days. You went to University of Wisconsin Med School, medical right, school. Right. And then you went to Harvard for a year research fellowship and then on to University of Iowa for quite some time. You were there nearly 30 years, but then you decided in 1984 to come to OHSU. Right. Why, why that sudden move after such a lengthy history in Iowa? Well, that was mostly, again, uh, the, uh, a very fortunate development here at OHSU from my standpoint. Ordinarily, uh, after almost 30 years at the uh, College of Medicine in Iowa, I would be headed for an emeritus position. I could have stayed there and taught and so forth. Because of the fact that I had by that time specialized laser treatments and surgery of the retina, mainly something called detached retinas, uh, which is a blinding development and has to be cured by surgery. I had specialized in this field. And here at the KCI Institute, two developments were occurring. The first was that the uh, chief out here at this time was Dr. Fraunfelder, and he was raising money to develop the KCI Institute. His seed money came from the Casey family, which is the same family that started United Parcel. 
And so Fritz, uh, his first name, Fritz was needed more staff uh, to, to staff this particular new institute. And he also had decided, uh, instead of having patients with these particular diseases operated on by doctors in the Portland area, he wanted a permanent member of the staff to do this kind of surgery and teach uh, residents uh, on the staff. This was why he, he invited me to come here, because ordinarily he would have taken a young, younger person. But he needed someone who had enough uh, status uh, to come out and take over immediately, start doing the surgery and uh, enticing doctors in the area to send patients with these conditions uh, to me. So I had the unique opportunity at the age of almost 65 to be invited to start a new super specialized area at such an advanced age. The final straw in the balance, as far as I was concerned, was that we loved, I loved to hunt and fish, and uh, I loved the idea of coming to Oregon and joining the new, expanding the department. Our, at home, our children were all out of the house. They were either in university or uh, on their own careers. So my wife and I could come out here and start, in a sense, start all over. So it was a combination of factors that uh, was kind of unique and I took advantage of. So you must have enjoyed your time here in Oregon and working for OHSU. Right. I remember when I came out at 65, I was already beginning to have some trouble with high-frequency hearing loss. So I had to make a decision as to whether to start wearing hearing aids. And, of course, in those days, hearing aids immediately uh, marked you as being somebody who was approaching the hill, if not over it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my wife told me, he said, Bob, which is worse, to wearing a hearing aid and looking old to some people or obviously not hearing what they're telling you uh, and having to ask over and over again to speak louder? So I decided, okay, I'll wear a hearing aid. I mention this because there were quite a few cynics who thought at the time, Watsky's just coming out here in order to uh, hunt and fish. He's going to retire here in a couple, three years. But actually, there was so much, it was so interesting uh, to teach and to take advantage of all these new techniques that I, I just never got around to uh, retiring for many years. Did you hunt and fish while you were here, though? Oh, definitely. <laughs> we, uh, one of my uh, projects with my wife was to, first I had to learn the names of all the bridges at Portland. I thought that was uh, quite an accomplishment, which I learned in the first week. Uh, I learned how to say Oregon instead of Oregon, Tualatin instead of Tualatin. <laughs> and the second was to visit Every go from the northern Oregon coast all the way down to the California, northern California, and visit all the parks down there and all the uh, parks on the on the uh, seacoast. So we took advantage of our leisure time, believe me. How many residents do you think you've um, helped mentor over the years? So I would say 
about 350 combined resident fellow younger doctors from both institutions. What contributions did you make to help establish the retina subspecialty? It started happening when I came here in 1984. Hmm. Before then, the patients who had diseases of the retina, uh, that's the lining nerve membrane and the inside of the interior and posterior of the eye, sort of like the film and the camera. Each retina in the eye is about the size of a a large postage stamp. Uh, And I'm sure many of the uh, listeners will say, you mean you specialize in diseases of a piece of tissue that's no more than the size of two postage stamps, one for the right and one for the left eye? And I'd say, yes, believe it or not, that's the case. For example, diabetics, because of loss of uh, circulation, uh, are prone to loss of vision because of deterioration of nerve cells in the back of the eye. And it used to be incurable, even though the patients got insulin and lived for many years. Uh, they were faced with blindness that was incurable until a, m- a method of using laser treatment, lasers, uh, to uh, treat uh, di- so-called diabetic retinopathy. And there's a condition called detachment of the retina. Uh, the retina is loosely applied to the back of the eye, like film in a camera or wallpaper on the wall of a room. And with uh, aging changes, the uh, holes develop in the retina, and the fluid inside the eye starts to peel the retina off the interior of the eye. And the patient notices uh, loss of a cloud, loss of vision in certain areas in one eye, which rapidly progresses until the patient cannot, he's not light and dark, but in one eye he loses all his vision, all his fine vision. And this used to be incurable back in the 1920s and 30s until methods were dis- developed in which the retina could be examined, the holes found and a method of reattaching the retina, curing the detached retina, plastering it back against the wall of the eye. Uh, And if it was done rapidly enough and soon enough, the patient would recover almost all their vision. Uh, And this was a very uh, specialized type of surgery, which the ordinary ophthalmologist uh, didn't have either the time or experience to do. So doctors uh, began to specialize in this. And with millions of people uh, functioning as patients, uh, if you were a specialist in this, you would do as many as five or or 10 of these operations a week, even though it's extremely rare in the general population. And so uh, this is the kind of of, uh, surgery Dr. Robertson mentioned started here, and it started here with someone like B being invited to come out and join the staff and do this type of surgery and teach uh, residents who wanted to learn it uh, how to do it. And after about a year, Dr. Robertson in those days uh, was a resident who had finished ophthalmology, actually uh, joined the staff Uh, with me and did this kind of surgery 
and uh, developed some techniques of his own. He's too modest to mention it himself, but uh, Joe Robertson also participated uh, in building up this kind of referral uh, service for the other KCI Institute. What accomplishment during your medical career are you most proud of? I would say that the most uh, important thing that I can think of offhand was to participate with the National Eye Institute in methods of treatment of patients who had diabetic retinopathy and were in danger of going blind. That required laser treatment to prove that it worked to develop methods of using lasers to prevent and improve circulation of the retina. And that's, that's the one that I think had the most landing, uh, lasting improvement. And after all, uh, millions of patients who were diagnosed with diabetes. What do you think will be the next big advancement or area where there will be an advancement in ophthalmology? Boy, that's really a tough question. I think the next development that has a good chance of occurring is using genetics and chromosomal analysis uh, to find out the deficiency of the gene or of the particular chromosome which is responsible for this de de deterioration and a method of injecting a normal gene into the eye or into the patient uh, outside of the eye uh, and replacing this defective gene with one that will reverse the what is now an incurable illness. Oh, KCI Institute is already doing that. Yes, absolutely. Just They've treating... already started it. Right. There's more room to grow, though, of course. Absolutely. I guess, are there any questions that I didn't ask or any pieces of information that you really would like to be included? All the medical training that I had came, basically was financed by the GI Bill after I got out of the uh, World War II. And uh, so, basically, I would never have been able to go to medical school without the GI Bill. Uh, and uh, that always kind of figured in my um thoughts about what I should do, uh, that I owed a lot to the American taxpayer, and uh, it was right that I uh, pay a lot of it back by service, and I've tried to do that. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by Franny White and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. And I'm Lisa Carter. See you next week.